You're listening to American City and County's Young Leaders Podcast, a podcast series that will run throughout 2020, where we will get to know the next generation of local government. This is Derek Prawl. I'm the editor of American City and County Magazine, and you're listening to the fourth installment of our Young Leaders podcast series. Our guest today is Cyril Jefferson. He is a city councilor in High Point, North Carolina. Uh, city councilor, if you could tell me a little bit about High Point and a little bit about your career in public service there to get our conversation started. Absolutely, Derek. Thank you for having me here on the podcast. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Cyril Jefferson, and I have the privilege of serving as the representative on High Point City Council, um, elected by the residents in our first ward, but serving our citizenry at large. Um, High Point is a city um, of between 115 and 120,000 people. Um, we are one that's known historically for our furniture, our textile manufacturing and logistics industries. Um, but we're also one that is revitalizing itself. We've um, committed to revitalizing our core and our downtown. We've got a thriving university in High Point University. And uh, we're known as North Carolina's international city. And so um, I'm thrilled to be representing our great municipality on this podcast and looking forward to chatting a little bit more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how did you how did you get started in in public service uh, in, in in High Point or or, did, or was it in High Point that you got started now in this career? Yeah, so I definitely say it started right here in High Point um, prior to ever going officially into politics or officially into into an elected office or even running for any elections. Um, I've always been one committed to community betterment. So, you know, I, I've worked in nonprofit for years. I've worked in education for years as um, a band director and as a mentor and um, as a specialist working with youth and behavior intervention, things of that nature. I work for communities and schools. And so I've always been someone who cares very deeply about our community. Um, and, you know, there was a certain point here, Derek, where um, our city was was dealing with a string of violent crimes that were taking place. And okay. uh, it was happening really um, with a lot of our young people, you know, young guys who weren't even older than 14 and 15 years old in many cases um, were being arrested and charged with these offenses that we knew were going to have them go away for, you know, what is it, years and decades. And so, um, being who I am, I knew that uh, I wanted to impact. I wanted to continue to serve. I wanted to make sure that um, we could do something about that. And while I was spending all this time working with young people, I, I, I knew that in order for me to really affect change, that office um, as a public official, that that would probably be the step I needed to take. Gotcha. And it seems like that's a that's a pretty common pathway uh, for a lot of elected officials to kind of start in these community involvement, nonprofit worlds, you know, where where you have this this desire to see better opportunities for your community members and better outcomes for those folks. Um, 
how how have you found uh public life uh did, did, are, are you are you able to are you able to accomplish those goals are you are you frustrated by the bureaucracy how how are you how are you dealing with the transition from that world into you know public service yeah so Derek, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the term bureaucracy that is one thing about government that i know I, i'm i'm probably still getting used to um, you know, coming in, being the youngest African-American to ever serve on High Point City Council. Um, I'm only 28 years old. And for me, uh, when I say I want to do something, I generally get up and just get right to it. Um, and so having to get into government and learning the way that things go um, and the timing it takes to things and a lot of the legality that goes into some of our decisions that are made and how that has to be protected, that is a completely new thing for me. Um, nevertheless, I do think we've had a, I, I think in this past, what it's going on 10 months, it'll be by the end of this week, it'll be 10 months officially having been in office. Um, I think we've got a lot done in this 10 months and we're, we're putting our city, I believe, um, in an even better position so that when our term is over with, I think we'll be able to look back and be thrilled with what's been done. I think that, um, just kind of piggybacking off what you said, um, we're we're about the same age. I'm I'm a little bit older than you, but I think that both of us kind of grew up in uh, an age of a technological boom right. where there was an immediacy to things. Right. Where you know, hey, if I if I want pizza, I all I have to do is poke my phone a couple of times, and then a pizza right. shows up at my door. And so if we say, hey, we really want, you know this municipal service, th- th- this new, this new idea to happen. How, how do we, how do we fast track that? How do we, how do we get, how do we achieve the outcomes that everybody really wants right now? And, you know, like there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I, I mean, I guess unrest right now, particularly, yeah. particularly in, in, in minority communities of feeling uh, disenfranchised yep. by their local movements, oh, yeah. and not, not you know, obviously the the big marquee piece is is police relations and relations with law enforcement, but there's a, a sense of a failing on the part of local government of these communities in particular of of services of you know meeting them where meeting their needs, where their needs are and, and yeah. meeting them in, in, in a timely way. Absolutely. Can, can, can you talk a little bit about that, that challenge for you? Yeah. So Derek, to, to your point, um, communities who are suffering, when you say to them, Hey, um, government bureaucracy, uh, keeps us from dealing with this issue as soon as it probably needs to be dealt with. Um, that's, I mean, that that's not what people want to hear. That's not what they should have to hear. Yeah, sorry, we can't get you help for six months. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> we'll, put, dude, we'll, put, we'll put you on a waiting list, <laughs> dude. I, I I kid you not. And and uh, I'm going to shout out our city attorney Joanne Carlisle, who does phenomenal work. Um, she leads a great department. Who you know they do all their due diligence and they're very thorough and they ensure that, you know, we, we, we do what we're supposed to do to the letter of the law and that we understand what our, you know, what our options are every time we go. But 
Joanne and I have, have these conversations and, and she tells me, Cyril, you know, try to be a little more patient because, I mean, there's there's just kind of a process to it. She and I, um, in a most recent conversation, I was telling her, I said, you know, I, I, I try to be as patient as I can, Joanne, but, um, you know, the urgency with which really some of these actions kind of have to be taken uh, is not just for lack of patience, but it's, I mean, people are, again, they're in crisis. And she, and she understands that she's not someone who, you know, she's not someone who belabors for the sake of belaboring. It's not that at all. She certainly tries to get as much stuff done as quickly as possible. And and, and I think she understands that um, where I come with my passion, and it's not just her, it's uh, other staff members who we work with, other members of council, all of us who bring our passion to it every single day, we're trying to get as much done for as many people and we're trying to get it done in a timely fashion. So sure. it's, it's uh, no, nah, man, you, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've been writing about and, you know, covering this world for geez, seven years now, something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. This is, this has been my, this has been my focus. And that's, that's always been something that I've heard, you know, just, just in various ways of, yeah. you know, what, one of, one of the most frustrating things, particularly, with uh, elected and appointed officials who um, are really who went into this passionately, who, who who really wanted to affect change, and who thought that that you know, hey, this this is the best way I can do that in my community, um, being met with like just the slow moving machinations yeah. of government. It, there's there's a frustration there, Absolutely. and you know, obviously, govern there there are some. In some ways, government does need to move slowly. We can't operate. We can't operate governments like startups. You can't like you know fail fast and you know adapt and change yeah. things like you can with like you know tech startup. Um, so so obviously, you know there there is a necessity to this. But I think at least my experience in talking with a lot of young folks who are coming into local government is that we want we want to see this change in meaningful ways we right. we want we want to be able to adopt the new technologies that will that will help our communities and adopt them in in timely rollouts and and yep. things like that um is is that is that your experience as well yeah my 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 experience mostly with a lot of this Derek is that once you sort of learn the nature of things you know my dad God rest his soul. Um, coming up, you so I was talking about learning how to play the game. He said, "Whatever you're involved in, whether it's work or school, family relationships, whatever it is, learn whatever the game is and learn to play it." And so, just sure. knowing the the nature of government, and, and I don't mean to make the, all that sound trivial by calling it a game or anything, but knowing the nature of it, you know, I've 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 quickly learned to adapt myself to say, you know what, there are certain things that have to take time. But what that means is we can really plan out these next several years, have a good, solid timeline and know that all along the way, you know, I'd probably go crazy if there was just one thing I was working on. Because sure. that one thing means I'm probably not going to see any fruit or, you know, see anything happen for another several years. But typically, like like any good elected official in any good government, you got a number of irons in the fire at any given time, or mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, for me, whether it's um, 
trying to boost our city's participation with minority and women business enterprises or bringing about a revolutionary diversity and inclusion initiative to our city government, or if it's, you know, leading a campaign to, to uh, allow for investments in minority owned startup businesses, whatever it is, these are all things that I get to ha- be a part of that I get to help lead. And it keeps me busy on a day to day. And, and, you know, we were just having a conversation with someone this past weekend who said, well, you guys have been in 10 months and, and, you know, just curious about where are the results of this thing. And I said, well, you know, f- for the kind of sustainable and sizable and significant impact that our community expects us to have, I mean, you know, the best kind of food, you got to cook it in the oven and it takes a little bit of time. So it's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like that, right? It, it, it takes a little time to get some of this sustainable stuff to happen. If we feel like right now housing isn't really affordable, well, um, the law of supply and demand tells me that as long as there's more demand than what our supply is, then prices can go through the roof. But if sure. you can find a way to increase that supply, um, then you can come to a place where pricing um, comes down and more people are able to really afford their housing. And so what does that mean? Well, um, we've got to continue our innovative tactics of, you know, working with developers and using tax credits and HUD dollars and leveraging those the best way possible. But what it may also mean at a certain point is over these next several years, we, we may have to entertain the idea of doing a housing bond. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, you know, that's something we'll have to get serious about. But doing a housing bond, that's not something you do in a month. That's something that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got to look at the, the the best one you want to do, whether you want it to be a general obligation bond or, or, or what have you, um, how you drum up the support for it locally, whatever campaigns you're going to do to ensure that when it's out there, if, if it's one that the people vote on, you know, how do you spread that message and get it um, where it's widely you know, heard and widely accepted as the thing that we need? There's all types of research that has to go into it. Um, and as you said earlier, rightfully so, it's it's not a startup business where, you know, I, I put my own money into it and, you know, high risk, high reward type thing. No, the city of High Point government has to be here when I leave and it needs to be mm-hmm. years from now and it needs to be here really until the end of time. And so we've got to make the kind of decisions that that don't gamble away the taxpayers dollars. We are stewards sure. of the public's trust. And therefore, we have to make sure that every decision we make is done diligently and with a very thorough approach. And like, I'm reminded of, uh, I believe it, it was it was the first episode of this podcast. I was speaking with um, a city councilor from Texas, uh, and, and that was one of the points that she brought up was um, that. Yeah, there's there's this idea of like, man, I want things to change for the better right now. But a more meaningful thing to do is to take a broader view of things and a more sustainable view of things. She she was telling me about it was some vote that was made probably 80 years ago in her community that secured their water rights. Right. And it was a hugely unpopular vote at the time, but now looking back on it, like, Oh man, I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, those local government officials had the, 
had the foresight to see how important this was. Um, right. So I think I think there's you know there's two sides to every coin, and yeah, you know there's a there's a stereotype of government that it's slow and lumbering and ineffective and blah blah blah, but you know sometimes that's by design. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I think you hit the nail on the head again, Derek. Um, you know, our city's got agreements, whether it's with uh, our electricity or with water or, you know, landfills, whatever it is, those decisions that were made back then, they were made to have ramifications even now. And we're really glad that the decisions were made um, in a way that we know those representatives were thinking long term and we see the success of that. And when you don't think long term, when, when you don't take the kind of approach that ensures that this can be a, a significant and sustainable um, effort, well, uh, it could, I mean, it could fail in a bad way. It could be a waste of taxpayer money. So, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I mean, it's that's just understanding it. I mean, it's the nature of it. Does it frustrate us? Absolutely. But I think I think if you balance balance knowing that there's some of those things that take a long time to kind of get done, then uh, you, you have to balance that with, you know, what are the things that I can have impact on now? So granted, sure. granted I might not be able to, 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 to get that housing bond done in the next month, but um, as I have constituents who call me and have issues when it comes to housing, then my connections in the city with organizations who, you know, who help out with certain things, I can connect that constituent with that organization. And now they're service. And, and because, because that organization got the call from, you know, councilman Jefferson, they're more willing maybe at that moment to, to move a little bit faster to support this, this constituent maybe than if the constituent called themselves. And so that's me kind of saying that's, that's a one-off example of, Hey, um, what are the things that you can impact um, as far as change for now, what are, what are the steps that can be taken and how can I leverage my platform, my energy um, and all, you know, all connected things to that? How can I leverage it all to help folks um, who need help now? Sure. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned uh in passing a few minutes ago, some of the, some of the things that you've really thrown your energy behind. Um, one of those was your, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in high point. Um, I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about that, you know, what it is, and then maybe we can get into sort of the, the importance of it and the philosophy behind it. Absolutely. So, our diversity and inclusion initiative here at the city is one that our council uh, wanted to take on um, really from the start. We had our strategic leadership retreat several months ago at the beginning of the year where we came together and talked about, you know, the vision for these next four years. And our city's mission statement um, in layman terms is, you know, to be a catalyst that brings together uh, various uh partners and stakeholders to create the single most livable, safe and prosperous community in America. And so we talked through what that means. Um, we felt like it's a strong mission statement that we want to keep. Uh, and so now what are our effective strategies for for getting to that, to become the single most livable, safe and prosperous community? Um, and so one of the things that we settled on was that, hey, we are a city of 115 to 120,000 people. 
um, branded as North Carolina's international city. We've got this market with international claim. We've got a university with international claim. And really, we have a citizenry um, made up of a very diverse, internationally based populace. And, um, you know, are we making the kind of efforts? Are we doing the kind of projects? Are we enacting the kind of policy that works to the benefit of those citizens at large? Um, or, or are we right now maybe more conducive for one type of, of person here? Um, and so we talked through that and, 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 and the consensus was um, whatever can be done this term to continue to build on that, to continue to become the, the very best version of North Carolina's international city, then we would do it. And so immediately on that day, some of our value statements for the city were changed to include diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, our, our strategic goals shifted a little bit to where we talked about, you know, neighborhood development and we talked about marketing our city as this international city so that we reach a more diverse populace. Um, and, you know, from there, what manifested eventually was us looking at um, our hiring policies or, you know, saying maybe we need to rewrite our personnel and hiring policies so that we ensure um we're having as competitive and as fair a process for people to seek gainful um, employment opportunities with the city. We also looked at, um, you know, our, as I mentioned earlier, our MWBE uh, participation and in, in saying, all right, you know, we want to do more business with minority owned businesses um, so that we can ensure again, that we're having an impact on communities of color, um, especially when it comes to economics. We looked at, uh, ensuring that all directors and, you know, city management, everyone who's in a supervisory capacity, that they go through a diversity, um, equity and inclusion training. And then we also um, said, well, to kind of pull all this stuff together, we're going to need some staff that are really, really focused on this and tuned into this kind of work. Maybe some folks with a background to some of this who can speak up and, and provide ideas and do some of the ground work um, day to day and report back to council and whatever we need to take action on, whether it's funding or policy enactment, then we can do that. And so we decided that that a diversity, equity and inclusion specialist, we would write that into the budget. And right now that job description is being developed and the, the scope of work for that. And hopefully we'll have that person hired um, at the beginning of this coming year, 2021. Um, and so, you know, that from there, it, it really just led to us looking at even more opportunities. But everything I just mentioned, that's the brunt of what our diversity and inclusion initiative at the city um, is right now. Gotcha. So um, I think that if, if we're looking at this, this really great and important work, the, the the reason there's a need for this is because I, I think there, again, if we're talking about stereotypes of local government, there's this idea of, you know, what maybe a city councilor looks like or, you know, the, the director of public works, what type of person that might be. Right. Or, you know, I, I don't think that what immediately comes to mind is, you know, a really – vibrant, diverse group of folks with new ideas and new ways of thinking. And, you know, like, <laughs> is, is this an effort to, um, 
to combat that, to kind of, to, to shift that narrative, to kind of erode what, what this has been and, and change it into something, something newer? Yeah. So, um, I think I'd rather look at it as us building on, um, in what I would consider a very impressive legacy already. I mean, sure. Um, certainly we all know the, the history of our country, um, and we know that, you know, slavery was a real thing and segregation was a real thing. Um, and the ramifications of that are still felt today, obviously with everything going on around the country and the social unrest. And it's, it's really, it's really causing a lot of things to come to the surface that probably folks thought weren't there. Um, but these things really were just lying dormant, um, still having a real impact on people within communities of color. Um, and so the reason why I use the term building um, is because when you look at um, our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and preamble and our Declaration of Independence, the wording, the values that were epitomized there uh, were of life, liberty and justice for all. And, um, you know, America and its founding, the framers knew this was this was a big experiment. This was an investment in an ideal um, that had not really been carried out successfully before. And we're now seeing across the world more of this adoption of democracy and a government that's for the people, by the people, because America stood on that. And so, I, you know, I, I, I say all that not for sake of being verbose or giving everyone a, a history lesson, but to provide <laughs> context in that um, when you launch into this great experiment and you're trying to, to, to fulfill this idea of life, liberty and justice for all, you don't get it right at first. And I think we saw that with, with a lot of what took place. I, I mentioned slavery and, and so many other things. We, we see that um, and how we continue to build to get closer and closer to what that ideal um, America, a, a country for all people how we build towards that um, is how we continue to adjust and how we continue to change, you know, um, included in, in my bio that, that they sent to you, Derek, was the work I do as a principal consultant for Change Often LLC. Um, and right in that name, the, the namesake of the company, Change Often, comes from a quote from Winston Churchill uh, where he says, to improve is to change, but to perfect is to change often. Um, hmm. And so as we continue to become you know, this more perfect union, we have to change often. We have to continue to grow. We have to adopt growth mindset-based strategies and practices um, that can help us get there. So how does that, um, this idea of changing often, how does that impact your leadership philosophy? Um, I know, you know, we say city councilmen, the, you know, this, this is a this is a public service role, but it's also a leadership role. It's a community right. leadership role. Right. So th- this idea of evolution, how do you, how do you sort of bake that in to your, uh, to your leadership strategy? Yeah. So, so first of all, I'll, I'll say that in whatever form of leadership that you take, um, how you, how you lead, I think has to include a growth mindset, um, I think what that includes or, or what that entails is having emotional intelligence and being able to take time for introspection to reflect on on decisions that are made and how that impacts people and to really be empathetic to how people feel 
based on things that you say and your actions, um, you know, good leadership is is not expecting people to do what you tell them, but it's um, truly trying to find out what is it that I can do or say that would inspire people to follow. Um, and so um, how, how it plays out for me as far as my leadership, you know, I'm, I'm, I know what I know, but I'm also very keenly aware that um, at one point science didn't think that germs existed, right? I, <laughs> I bring that up, you know, sounding funny. I, I was reading this book um, that talks about the, the discovery of invention and how most of that comes about. But, you know, it, it talked about a certain point hundreds, hundreds of years ago. Um, they didn't know germs were a thing. Um, you sure. know, they, they, there was this hospital, I don't, I don't want to say the country or whatever, but there was this, this hospital, uh, where in the same room, believe it or not, the doctor who was performing, uh, what do you call them? Autopsies on dead bodies. Mm-hmm. The same doctor would like walk across the room and deliver a baby. Right. Yeah. Not but, changing yeah. aprons, not changing gloves, not washing anything, just literally, you know, doing what you do with a dead person and then <laughs> to deliver life, right? And yeah. right now, that sounds so crazy. People out there are probably listening like, dude, a, a doctor really was touching a dead person and went right to, to, to a lady's womb. And yeah, that's absolutely how they were doing it. Because at the time, the concept of germs just, it did not exist. Um, yeah. And so from then on, you know, they obviously... You know, you kept having these cases where where mothers who were giving birth and the babies who were being birthed, um, they were getting sick and dying um, in this in this one hospital, like like a lot. And mm-hmm. I couldn't understand oh, why. And, <laughs> and someone someone kind of just sort of uh, postulated and said, maybe it has something to do with dead people and babies being touched by the same hand. <laughs> Um, and they were like, this has nothing to do with anything. You know, like, I mean, people. Yeah, I mean, and that, that, I, I've, I've heard the story and that individual was ridiculed. Oh, I, dude, I, I, ridiculed. I, can't remember, I can't remember the doctor's name, but yeah, he was ostracized for this theory. And, and listen, you are right <laughs> on. Yeah. Ostracized, ridiculed. I mean, just the science community said, you know, nothing, obviously, about anything because our books tell us that that's not an issue. Mm-hmm. And we start to learn about germs. And there's this paradigm shift in the way science goes about the way it does stuff to where now germs are like a real thing now. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I bring that up to say, you know, people were ridiculed and, and mocked for believing something that we all hold to be a general truth. Now, if, if, if yeah. I say that you need to wash your hands before you eat, I don't have to back that up with research. And, and <laughs> I say it and I think every single person in the room agrees uh, obviously COVID-19, you know, you have to wash your hands. I don't, it didn't take us having to go into laboratories to come back out and the government tell us, wash your hands. We just know, wash your hands because now it's a general truth that is so common that every single person in the world practices it. And so I said that to say, um, how you have that growth mindset and how you choose to change often is being willing to say, Hey, I believe I know what I know and I can stand strong on my convictions but I also have to be willing to know that there's a lot more for me to learn. There's a lot more out there that I have not seen. You know, my liberal studies background um, causes me to understand cultural relativism. And, and, and I won't go too deep into all that. But it, it just says that, 
you know, what may be common sense to you is not common sense to everyone else. Albert Einstein said common sense is just a collection of prejudices that we acquire by the age of 18. Hmm. So I, I think that that's what good leadership is. And, and something, something to add on to that, you know, as, as you're, as you're saying this, you know, like, I I believe I know what I know, but I'm I'm willing to change. I, I think that you know, the idea of hey, if I if I'm given new evidence, I can change my outlook. Right. You know, I can if if I if I hold this belief really dear and you know think that I'm totally right, but everything out there tells me I'm wrong. Hey, I'll I'll I'll. I'll change what I believe. I think that that sort of, I wouldn't call it malleability, but flexibility maybe yeah. is the oh, right yeah. term. And, and it, that's a really important quality in a leader, particularly a leader in government. Yeah. Yeah. No, I spot on Derek spot on. Well, we're, uh, we're a little tiny bit over time here, but I think that's fine. This has been a, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. Um, yeah. Is there uh, is there anything that you'd like to leave the audience with, uh, keeping in mind that these are folks, um, you know, who are your peers, who have you know similar jobs, similar similar expectations, similar responsibilities? Is there anything, any advice that you would like to give that you would like to leave the listenership with? Absolutely, I'll, I'll say this: um, we read in history books all the time about folks who got things done. Um, but one, I don't know how known it is. Maybe it's a little known fact or maybe it's a widely known fact, but it's one that inspires me. And it's knowing this, that a lot of the folks who have impacted change um, across the world historically, um, they've been young people. They've been, you know, whether you look at Dr. King, who in, in his 30s led the civil rights movement, you look at Thomas Jefferson, who, you know, as a young man wrote the Declaration of Independence or in, and served as governor of Virginia. Um, or if you think about, you know, I'm, I'm in my faith, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is one who we point to a lot. And between the ages of 30 and 33, led a movement that for thousands of years has withstood the test of times and is so near and dear to everyone's heart. And that is the Christian religion. So, um, as young people, we've, we absolutely have our seat at the table for a reason. And I think we have to believe in our capacity to affect change and keep doing it because that's why we were elected or that's why we were put into positions that we're in. Great. Well, Councilman Jefferson, uh, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, like I said, I, I had a really great time talking with you. I think that this will be, uh, really interesting for our listenership. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that about, that about covers it. Yeah. Thanks Derek. Thank you. Absolutely.